Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Peter and John placed their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Thank you for reading Acts 8, 9 through 25. And our sermon today is entitled Uncontainable Holy Spirit, the Uncontainable Holy Spirit. And we are continuing in our Book of Acts series called The Spirit-Infused Multi-Ethnic Church. And this is a loving scripture series from Renew. Let me pray for us before getting started. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's a light unto our path um, and something that guides us and transforms us um, with its dynamic power um, through the Holy Spirit um, to speak to us both as individuals and as a community. Will you use um, me, my mouth, my brain, um, in my limited uh, abilities uh, through your spirit uh, to bring out change, to bring conviction, to bring truth um, to all of our hearts. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. We left off last week in verse 8 where uh, Luke writes, So there was great joy in the city. And... Uh, something that I would like to point out and say is that there is no joy like the joy found in Jesus Christ. Amen? There is no greater meaning, no greater life, nor more transformative grace as that found in the Holy Spirit of God. There is no greater truth, no greater power, no greater comfort, no greater security 
as that found in Yahweh, our God, our great and mighty God, our God. How great is our God? How great is our God? Though the ministry of Jesus Christ and the apostles brought about persecution, brought hardship, brought pain, brought the hot breath of a man named Saul, breaking down the doors of Christian homes, dragging men and women out of their homes with their children, crying and screaming, Mommy, Daddy! He dragged them into prison. Saul was on fire, equally passionate as the apostles were about Jesus Christ, as snuff, Paul was as, Saul was as passionate about snuffing this movement out. But even so, even with all of this pain, even with all of this persecution, even with all of this opposition and oppression, nevertheless, nevertheless, as we see many times in scripture, but God, nevertheless, the ministry of the scattered brought healing into the city. The ministry of the scattered brought the gospel into new territories. The spirit was pushing beyond the boundaries of Jerusalem, beyond even Judea, and was, is going to be starting to move, as we see here in chapter 8, into Samaria. The ministry of the scattered set captives free, made the lame to walk, the blind to see. The ministry of the scattered was a part of bringing great God, bringing the good news into people's lives who were hungry for good news, who were hungry for release, who were hungry for freedom, who were hungry for healing. Good news. And there was great joy in the city. It says the shrieks of the spirits leaving the people who had been bound by de demonic oppressions, bound and chained. These sounds of shrieks, we end off in verse 8, to the cries of joy in the city. And these were Samaritan cities. These were new places outside of Jerusalem. And it was the persecuted, those who were scattered because of persecution, a negative thing, an evil thing being done to people being done by Saul, being done by the Hellenist priests, that actually leads to God's word spreading even more and spreading further and further beyond. And that's a lesson in and of itself, that sometimes hardship happens, sometimes persecution happens, sometimes we suffer, sometimes we fall apart. Our churches fall apart, we're scattered. We don't know what's happening. God, where are you? What are you calling us to do? God, we feel, we feel out of control, right? Even in this pandemic, I feel that. Everything is broken apart. The center won't hold. What are we doing? We can't even meet together yet. And yet, in that scattering, in that running away, in that being pushed out under persecution in the shadow of Saul, the gospel goes out even more powerfully and to even more people beyond Jerusalem and the mission of the Holy Spirit, which Christ told the apostles would happen, 
you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, to Judea, and all of Samaria, to the ends of the ends of the earth. And that's beginning to happen, and we're seeing that more and more. There is no power like the power of God. Amen? Say amen with me, church. There is no power like the power of God. There is no power like the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no power like the resurrected Jesus Christ who has risen today, who God exalted to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name on earth, that at the very name of Jesus every knee shouldn't bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No other name. Jesus. Say it again. Jesus Christ. And people are experiencing, not just in Jerusalem, but in other places, the power that is in the name of Jesus Christ. People are being set free. The lame are walking. The blind can see. And chains are being broken. There's an army rising up and every chain is being broken because there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And heaven is beginning to move on earth. Move on earth, an earth that is parched, that is dry and thirsty. People longing for living water. People wanting bread that gives new life. The earth is parched. And now heaven is coming on earth and continuing to move in power. The power of the Holy Spirit is pushing, 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 pushing at the boundaries, the national boundaries, the cultural boundaries, the language boundaries, the food boundaries, what people even eat, what people consider clean and unclean. That's not good to eat. That's good to eat. The religious boundaries, those are being pushed by the Holy Spirit. And those that were scattered are moving in the Spirit, doing the work that, wait, 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 weren't the apostles, only the apostles, weren't they the only ones that were preaching the Word of God and speaking about the resurrection of the living Christ and doing wonders, the wonders of healing and casting out spirits and demons, the manifestation of new life, of liberty, of freedom, of good news, weren't it all? Wasn't that all, that power only in the hands of the apostles themselves? No, no, no. Because what we begin to see here in chapter eight, and we learn that those scattered begin to do the same things we heard of in the earlier chapters that the apostles were doing. Persecution shakes the believers from the safety of Jerusalem. If there was a place of comfort, if there was a place of tradition, if there was a place of religious doctrine, if there was a place where the way, the people of the way, right, it, where Christianity was done properly, it was Jerusalem. But the power of the Holy Spirit would not be contained. The Holy Spirit is uncontainable. What we're beginning to learn as readers is this is the uncontainable Holy Spirit, untamable 
uncontainable. The intent of God will not be stopped. The good news that is new life in Jesus Christ would not be hoarded by those in Jerusalem only, but also now in Samaria. The gospel news is a beautiful, tasty pie that's not meant to eat for by yourself, but to be shared by all others so we can all be gluttons for good food. That's the good news. The good news is an apple pie, right? And so the scattered, we hear, preach in Samaria. And do you remember Samaria in scripture? Do you remember the Samaritans? It's who the Jewish people in Jerusalem called half-breeds. Those Samaritans shared ancestry with the Jews, right? But were descendants of those um, in the history, if you remember, um, the people of Israel went into the land of Canaan and, and God said, don't intermingle, don't intermarry with the, with the locals or the natives there. But the Samaritans were descendants of Jewish people who intermarried with people in the land of Canaan. And then you have the Samaritans. The problem is there's a tension that goes throughout history, um, even to the days of Jesus and even here, um, where the purebred Jews um, had tension with the Samaritans, um, calling them half-breeds. And the Samaritans who worshipped Yahweh, worshipped the same God, who shared Jacob as their ancestor, um, uh, worshipped God on their mountain, Mount Gerizim, where the Jews said only the only the place of worship, the only place of worship is in Jerusalem, in the temple. So we remember the, remember Samaria as a place Jesus planted a seed. Remember when all other rabbis or priests or religious Jewish leaders would never travel through Samaria, but would go around, go the long route, in order to avoid the people, in order to avoid the place. Remember, Jesus actually went straight through Samaria and he planted a seed there in John chapter 4 when he has a conversation with the woman at the well, right? And who was saved that day, who was promised the Messiah and Jesus revealed himself actually to the woman as, I am he, I am the Messiah. And Jesus also promises that worship would not be limited to a place, a language, a culture, an ethnicity, right? Not simply in Jerusalem, in the temple, but one day all believers will worship God in spirit and truth, unencumbered by culture, unencumbered by ethnicity, unencumbered by geography, but spirit and truth because you profess Jesus Christ, because you say the Lord is God Almighty, that's what God's people will be about. That's what worship would be about. And the woman worshiped that day in spirit and truth and was so convicted and so transformed and so taken by the living water that Jesus was offering her that she runs to her town and tells everyone about Jesus and becomes one of the first witnesses. She becomes the first witness 
to Samaria. And so Philip, Philip, we learn about Philip in this chapter, that he goes into a city and begins preaching in Samaria, and he's following in the tradition of the Samaritan woman. The scattered are continuing in this pivot of the Holy Spirit, and they're witnessing all in all of the surrounding lands. And people are being drawn. People are being healed. People are believing. They're repenting and being baptized. And like I said, we are introduced to Philip, one of the seven Greek Christian leaders who went north and began preaching in Samaria. Philip continues tending to the initial seed planted by Jesus in Samaria and fulfilling the promise he gave to the woman at the well. A day is coming when you will worship in spirit and truth. The Messiah is coming. Salvation is here. The kingdom of God is for you and you and you and you and you and you and you too. Amen? Philip preaches and performs signs and wonders and the lame are healed. Once again, the same things the apostle was doing, the same things the scattered are doing, the afflicted are delivered and the streaks of those oppressed are changed to shouts of joy throughout the city. Wherever God's spirit is, people shout with joy. Wherever God is, it's good news. Wherever the spirit is moving, people are drawn like iron to a magnet. We must have that. We want that. We're starving for that. We must understand this. There's nothing like the power of God. There is nothing like the good news and power in Jesus Christ. There is no power like the Holy Spirit who is now scattering her people beyond Jerusalem into the territories of those half-pure, half-breads where the strange foods, strange peoples, strange practices, witchery, sorcery, paganism, the patterns of the Gentiles, they witnessed and witnessed and witnessed in these dark places, alien places, foreign places to foreign people, different people. And the people in Samaria experienced the very real and potent power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Healings, deliverance, joy, and new life. Somebody say deliverance. Somebody say deliverance. Amen? Do you remember the time God delivered you? Do you remember a time when God healed you? Do you remember a time when you were downstruck when you were desperate and on your knees and praying to God and weeping and mourning. How will I be provided for? How will I get out of this situation? How will I be saved? This is a desert and it's too much to bear. How many times did God come back over and over and deliver you, deliver you with good news and you praise God. You said, thank you, God. Do you remember that God is the same God as he was yesterday in your life, as he is today, and he will continue to deliver you. He will continue to save you. There's no power like the power of God, amen? And the people, it says, listen to Stephen, these Samaritans, they listen to the, not just the, they don't just see the healings, and the good deeds and the actions, but to hear the preaching of the word of God and life 
in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And it, it says that they became baptized, that they were, many of them were baptized. They repented, believed, and were baptized. But then we, we later read, if, moving up forward, um, in verse 16, they are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, but the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. And when Peter and John in Jerusalem, remember they stayed in Jerusalem, they heard of these things. They're like, oh, we got to go to Samaria. We got to, you know, we got to check out what's happening. And we heard that people were being baptized, but we, they weren't being given the gift of the Spirit. So who knows? But what is this, the meaning of this? The Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, even though they were baptized. Are these two separate things? Is there an order to this? Right? You have to be bap baptized, but then in order to get the Spirit, the apostles have to lay their hands on you. Then you're gifted by the Spirit. What, what is the protocol? What is the order? Are you not really saved unless both happen? Baptism by water and baptism by the Spirit? Is this the requirement? All we know in the text is that something is missing. These new believers, they follow Jesus, they're baptized. No, but the apostles come. There hasn't been any blessing by the Holy Spirit yet. So according to the, to the text, we just all we know is that something's missing. But what is it? And are these new believers legitimate? Because they're missing they're missing the Holy Spirit, you know, baptism. They're missing that upgrade, maybe. Is there baptism in the name of Jesus and then baptism in the Holy Spirit? Are these two separate things? Is the Holy Spirit more powerful than being baptized in Jesus? Right? Or you choose, uh, I'll go baptism with Jesus and not baptism in the Holy Spirit. Or I'll go baptism in the Holy Spirit and I don't need baptism in Jesus. Thank you. We know baptism in the name of Jesus Christ is practiced in other parts of Acts, right? And there doesn't seem to be a problem or something lacking in this, right? In Acts 2.38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 10, verse 48, Peter orders Cornelius to be baptized in the name of Jesus, right? So that's, that's good. That's what's happening here. But the Spirit comes to Cornelius and his household before they're baptized. Wait a second, right? In chapter 10, they're baptized by the Holy Spirit first, and then Peter says, be baptized in the name of Jesus. So that's reverse order as we have here in chapter 8 with the Samaritan believers who are baptized in the name of Jesus first, and then Peter and John come along, lay hands, and they're baptized by the Holy Spirit. So... The order doesn't seem to matter, right? In chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, Paul finds believers in Ephesus who have been baptized into John's baptism, not baptized in the name of Jesus, but baptized by John the Baptist, remember? And Paul baptizes them in the name of Jesus and lays hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. So they're re-baptized with the correct name, Jesus Christ, and then he lays hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Baptism in Jesus is not the problem then for these Samaritans. That's not the issue. 
And there doesn't seem to be a set order for baptism and gifting of the Spirit. The, the when, it doesn't matter when and how. And I wanted to bring up Justo Gonzalez again, our um, uh, Bible theologian, and he writes in his commentary on Acts. In consequence, all that can be said is that according to Acts, the Spirit is absolutely free to decide where to be poured out and where to be manifested, be it before baptism, after baptism, in baptism itself, at the laying on of hands, or at any other moment. One thing is clear, and that is that if any of these texts is taken as a rigid norm that the Spirit must follow, or as absolute and essential practice in the life of the church, this contradicts Luke's wider understanding of the freedom of the Spirit. Basically, what he's saying is, there's no rules for the Holy Spirit. We can't contain the Holy Spirit. There's no order, right? We can't predict it. We can't say 10 Udi is cool, Udi is cool, Udi is cools and expect the Holy Spirit to come because it happened last time when I said Udi was cool. I got blessed by the Holy Spirit. So if I do that next time, that's just superstition. That's just control. The Holy Spirit is alive and dynamic and moving, right? The Holy Spirit is uncontainable, untamable. The Holy Spirit is going to do what the Holy Spirit does and bless people in the way the Holy Spirit blesses and baptize people and fill people with the fire and the fuego when the Holy Spirit wants to. We can't predict that when this is done, and these procedures are followed, the Holy Spirit will then manifest itself in power, visible power and potency. Or this person will have anointing and be baptized by the Holy Spirit if this specific prayer is spoken, if we do it just right. Because we can't assume that the Holy Spirit is given to people because of their merit, because of what we do. That's not how God works. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. It is not spread to others by a select few apostles as if they had magic hands. If I lay my hand on you, you're going to be able to speak in tongues. You're going to have the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Look, I'm going I'm to put this in a, I'm going to guard it so it's protected. You know, put a globe around it, an aquarium around my hand because they're magic hands of the apostle. You touch it and you'll be like healed. Here in Acts, the spirit is untamable. The spirit works the mission of the church through its persecution and scattering. Right? They can't boast. They're scattered and the Holy Spirit is working. Go figure. And I'll go further. Just because here Peter and John come from home from home base in Jerusalem and lay the apostles' hands and the Spirit is given doesn't mean that the Spirit requires Peter and John to lay their hands in order for uh, it to happen. It doesn't need the approval of Jerusalem. Again, we need to let go of our structures. I talked about this last week. We need to let go of our structures, our procedures, our strategies. As We need to let go of holding these things as ends of themselves 
and gospel in and of themselves and continue to depend and listen and discern the movement of the power of the Holy Spirit at all times in the church. At all times we need to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing, what new thing is happening. How is God speaking to us as a body? Amen. And here we move to another section in our passions that is related to the same theme of power and how it's held and the uncontainable power of the Holy Spirit. We move to Simon, the sorcerer. Simon was a man in the city to which Philip traveled. Simon had a grip uh, on wonder and awe. He had a grip on this Samaritan city. He was a man of power, a man of pagan power, a sorcerer, a witch, if you will. A representation of the power and principalities captivating the foundations of a city. Simon was a great man and people respected him. People looked to him in awe. His own people called him the great power of God. A person as the great power of God. But even Simon, when he sees Philip and the things that he's doing and the things that the Spirit is doing among the people in Samaria, Simon is enchanted. Simon is drawn in, right? Because he was witnessing a power that was much more powerful than anything he had ever seen or done himself. A great power that trumped his own. One of power and influence, Simon is brought into envy by true power. He's drawn in, he's attracted. He wants it, he wants that power demonstrated by the ministry of Philip and he repents and is baptized along with the others. And he follows Philip, it says, wherever he goes, like a, almost like a puppy dog following its master. Simon is just a sponge wanting to soak up everything about this apostle Philip. I wonder, was Simon hungry at this point? Was he teachable? And later when Peter and John come and they lay hands on these new Samaritan believers and the Holy Spirit comes on them, Simon is even more enthralled. And if Simon is guilty of something, he's guilty of being a person of power who recognizes true and greater power when he sees it. And he naturally thinks, as many people in power who are used to power or have power, he naturally thinks, I want that. I want that power. I'll eat what they're eating. I'll have what they're having, please. I want the true power of God at my fingertips as well. I'll give you what I have. I'll buy it. You need money? I'll give you my money. And Peter and John, hearing this, chastise them. You can't buy the Holy Spirit. You will have no part of this ministry. I'm reminded of Jesus saying to Peter, Get behind me, Satan! But throughout church history and in church, you know, 
even, even today, we tend to demonize Simon, right? But I wouldn't characterize Simon as irredeemable, right? As evil incarnate, as this demon witch. For all intents and purposes, we can assume that Simon actually repents and there is an earnestness in his asking. Let's remember that Peter did and said so much more, was so much more stupid. Even Christ said, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. So I think Peter actually can understand Simon's extremeness and just kind of eagerness to experience and, and, and possess this power that he's in awe of. And we know that as, as uh, Simon says, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me, that he's asking for forgiveness, that this is the beginning of repentance. We don't hear more about that. Um, but we can assume that his sins are forgiven. Just as we shouldn't objectify the power of the Holy Spirit as well, the presence of God as something to be captured, something to be bought, something to be put in a tent or a tabernacle or a house in our own work in our hands, we shouldn't objectify people. Jesus separates the person from evil. Jesus separates the person from the demonic power. We run the risk of demonizing the whole person instead of seeing with compassion the hurting person beneath. As if they are the evil they, are, they bring or represent. Those people over there that we don't understand and know, they're the demons, they are evil, they are darkness. But from the story we learn that no person is irredeemable. You can't put the power of salvation, transformation, or life in a box. Simon will repent and be a follower too. And the spirit will not be bought, anticipated, manipulated, or controlled. There is no power like the power of Yahweh. There is no power like the power of Jesus Christ. There is no power like the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And the call I want to make to us, church, today is submit. Ooh, that word, I hate it. Submit to this. Submit to the power. Repent. Give up trying to manipulate righteousness to the benefit of your ego. Give up trying to manipulate this person or that person to do this or that. Give up trying to buy yourself power and influence. Breathe. Breathe. Be still. Be still and know that he is God and let go. And as we let go, as you let go, I pray that you can receive the gifts that the Holy Spirit has for you already. God has been thinking about you. God has been longing for you to turn and come back to him and to receive in humility because he has so many gifts that he wants to bestow upon you. He wants to give you the Holy Spirit 
And I believe that if we let go, breathe, and let God, and receive, and stop trying to strive, and stop trying to control our lives, and stop trying to manipulate the situation, stop trying to buy the Holy Spirit, whatever that looks like for you, and just real power, we will begin to experience real power in our church, and we'll begin to live into our name, renew, renewed by God for the renewal of our neighbors because the Holy Spirit came upon us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and for the power of the Holy Spirit that you've given to us as a free gift of grace, not of our own merit. And we're so used to being independent. We're so used to being in control. We're so used to having some power at our fingertips that it's really hard um, to accept that your power is your power. It can't be controlled or contained or tamed or manipulated. But you will come in power when you will, how you will. And so come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, God Father, on us today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.